0: Welcome to the APL NextEd Minipod, where for a few minutes each week, academic leaders share insights and perspectives on the most important issues and opportunities facing academic teams. Learn how other schools are managing and strategizing for success as your host, CEO and founder of APL NextEd, Kathleen Gibson, gathers and connects practical seeds of knowledge and experience from her guests.
1: Hello, before you have a chance to listen to this terrific interview with doctor Jisong Lee, I wanna let you know that we reference a promotion that Dr. Lee is going to receive. It is official now, uh, so enjoy this time hearing terrific insights from uh, the new Associate Provost for Faculty Affairs, doctor Jisong Lee. Welcome to this week's episode of the APL Next Ed Minipod. We're back today with a remarkable guest, Dr. Ji-Sung Ling. Uh, She received her PhD in social work in uh, 1998 from Columbia University, where she was awarded a distinction on her dissertation on Medicare HMO service use. She received her master's of science degree in social work and master's of public administration from Columbia University and a bachelor of arts from SUNY Stony, Stony Brook. Dr. Lee's scholarly work focuses on addressing health disparities among older adults and minority groups with an emphasis on home care policy, health communication and chronic illness. She teaches in the master's doctoral and online programs in the area of social policy and research. She was selected to be in the first cohort of the Hartford Geriatric Social Work Faculty Scholar Program in 1999. She is currently heading the reaffirmation of accreditation for the uh, college she works for, the Fordham University Graduate School of Social Sciences, a social service, rather. This graduate school ranks among the nation's best and largest, offering one of the top masters of social work programs nationwide, according to U.S. News and World Report. We are super excited to have uh, my new friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Lee, with us today, who has some exciting news, I think, to share with us about a promotion and uh, some work that she's gonna be doing in the Academic Affairs Office at Fordham University. So first, let me welcome you, Dr. Lee. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you, thank you for having me today. I should also mention that in addition to her new role in uh, Academic Affairs at Fordham University, she's also one of the recipients of the APL Next Ed Academic Leader Award. And uh, we're so thrilled to honor her and uh, she is in great company uh, with others who have uh, shared this honor and this award. And uh, it's our pleasure as an, as an organization to support women and help them in any way that we can to level up. And we're just excited to uh, award this honor to Dr. Lee and then uh, again to congratulate her on her, her recent promotion. So thank you and uh, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. So we want to dive into a few questions that our audience might take as inspiration or take as good counsel from somebody who has spent their career really doing uh, academic work uh, first at a at a faculty level and and finding much success there and then moving into a leadership role Uh, where you were really sort of doing innovative things as it relates to delivery, as it relates to making education accessible, particularly for adult learners and those wanting high quality academic work in a professional program. And in your case, particularly related to social services or social science. Um, And so what education or experiences do you think prepared you most uh, for the role that you had in, in sort of innovating and leading in, in uh, GSS and and perhaps um, are the impetus for um, you winning the new role that, that, that you are going to be starting this summer? Well, um, thank you, Kathy. I think one of the things that really I
2: would ask all your audiences to think about is to understand the entire academic operations rather than just understanding only your curriculum or only your, only your faculty, because being an academic leader in today's world, you really need to understand your market, you need to understand missions, you need to understand marketing, um, as well as faculty development, technology, and of course, I can't leave out data because data is what drives how one makes a decision in today's environment. Um, I really think what prepared me best was my opportunity to work in multiple areas before I sat in my position as I sit today. Um, And as I was sitting in my position in academic affairs, I also was not shy in getting to learn about every aspect of running the school because everything is interrelated um, and one cannot do one part of the job without understanding the other person's job um, and how one relates to another. So I really highly encourage folks to really broaden um, their experience in all aspects of academic administration to be
1: successful in the future. Oh, that's terrific advice. Um, you know, one of the sort of hallmarks maybe, maybe that's not quite the word of academic operations in particular is is highly decentralized and siloed. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about uh, about that sort of way of doing business first off and then secondly, you know on an individual level, how did you sort of overcome those silos to get the experience that you needed to get exposure to different mm-hmm. um, facets of how really what I think we underestimate as a very complex organization that's doing you know a lot of different things. I mean, I think the days of us sort of thinking of education as simply being, you know, oh finding some faculty to offer some courses and and were our primary, you know, uh, sort of business is is education. Um, there's so much more to it. Um, so, how did you how did you sort of overcome, and how do you think about again, sort of decentralized organization, silos, and and how did you personally um, get beyond those silos to learn what you needed to learn?
2: Well, I, I want to use the word integration um, as a key word, um, as I think for folks to understand. Um, that that how a student experiences a university mm-hmm. um is different than what it was in the past um you have to really understand the integration of curriculum with student experience to Um, Even communication um, has changed. So for us, for me, it was really knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, will you talk to me because I'm having Mm -hmm. this barrier of how can I get this communication out to students in a timely right way? And it sounds Mm -hmm. like such a trivial thing, but communication is everything today. Um, mm-hmm. And students um, often do not read email, unfortunately, but they, mm-hmm. but we do need to get the message out. And how are we gonna package that message in different forums so that we get to all the constituents that need to get this information? So knocking on doors, I did a lot of knocking on doors, asking questions, um, bringing people together and realizing that we all have the same problem and kind of working towards um, solving that problem together from different um, departments, different aspects of the university. Um, and I really kind of pride myself over the years that I've met probably a lot of people across the university um, that is my counterpart or has some element of my counter- of the work that I do. And again, you really need to break out of that silo saying that I'm the only one who can do it. There's many, many other people who can do my job and are doing it in different departments and and finding it very difficult to achieve what they want to achieve when they feel kind of boxed in. And I really, recommend all and I do this on a on a regular basis to reach out to other players and even folks that I don't think has a direct relationship with me I really find in this the circuit that I, I I circle that I walk in, I find so many commonalities in the work that we do. Oh, you have a problem with um, uh, getting data in the way that you want it, and how is it useful? And then you realize all these other folks are working on data, are saying we want to be useful to you, and that's when you kind of open up the dialogue and bring it bring it um, in a way that's m- meaningful for your work, and then you get to share that with other folks. So. Silos are here in universities, and it's 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 kind of has been how most people have been operating. But I think integration is the new model going forward. Um, that it, if you think about universities these days, we have our disciplines, but we all talk about interdisciplinary work, and even in academic academic administration, while it's not a discipline necessarily, but inter, interdepartmental work and how you can coordinate and do your work together. Is going to be key for survival and success of a of a higher education institution going forward.
1: I love that that you literally uh, to break down the silos physically knocked down <laughs> the silo doors. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to start That's somewhere, true. right, Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> she went old school. She just knocked on the doors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think you're you've really keyed into something that I think wise leadership at institutions is keyed into as well, and that is that this integration has to happen for sustainability and if we're going to serve students in the way they expect to be served today. And we have a lot of resources at institutions, but we haven't always leveraged them in a way that is, that takes advantage of the synergies and takes advantage of the really smart people we have, who unfortunately are, again, sort of siloed and and decentralized, but bringing those people together to solve some of these problems, I think is, is, you know, what we're all going to learn is the way to make our institutions strong and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a way to really be a good steward of the resources that we have at institutions, because we ha- there's a lot of very smart, very capable people, like you said, who just sort of feel boxed in. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe taking a few of those walls down and bringing them together is an opportunity to to do things differently while still honoring the difference, right, um, that exists between programs, between departments, between accreditation requirements for professional and, and and institutional sort of compliance and so forth. So, I mean, I can see why uh, someone with your perspective on this is is you know going to uh, be doing important work at the institution level in academic affairs because I think this is this is sort of the model for for where it needs to go. What are the most important lessons that you've learned um, over the time of your your working in academic affairs? So um, obviously we've discussed, you know, the the challenges and opportunities that come with silo and decentralized sort of uh, organizational management. Are there are there particular sort of lessons learned or anecdotes that you could share mm-hmm. that might be helpful? Um,
2: I I really want to start off by talking about Um, collaboration, Um, a a lot of the stuff that I'd like to share with the audience is soft skills rather than hard skills, because when you're in a position where you have a bird's eye view of what's happening and understanding your environment, it's really understanding how to collaborate with folks, um, knowing your audience of collaborators and see what you can do and finding your your group (laughs) and your voice with that group. Um, is key. Um, I think for university, people are their biggest assets and understanding who your your colleagues are and um, how we can help them move towards achieving a common goal is going to be, is something that I really, um, a lesson that I've really learned over the years and um, recognize its importance. Um, academics tend to work sometimes in a silo because they have their discipline, they have their research that they're trying to finish up. And then you bring a whole bunch of these folks come together and say, hey, now you've got to work together. And what does that look like for folks? Um, uh, especially at an institution that has hierarchy um, and academia has hierarchy as, as we all know, in terms of um, the professors and the tenure track and the non-tenure track. But how do you bring all these people together and say, work together, and it's, it's not as simple. Um, you think it's simple to bring very talented, smart individuals into the room, but helping them work together, helping them scaffold a plan to achieve a goal for, this, for the school or the university. Those are important skill sets I think an academic leader really needs to have going forward. Um, It's not necessarily only my vision, but it's this collaborative vision that we're going to work together on and um, as an academic leader, help those folks see what the vision is, but also help them work together and um, and achieve success. And I think sometimes little, little successes are better than waiting for that big old gigantic success you're going to have, because it's about the people who are going to invest um, in your endeavor. And if you can't get those people to invest in what your your vision is, then you're not going to be able to um, achieve your outcomes. So collaboration is something that I really strongly believe um, is an important factor um, for for success of any academic leader. coming that that comes along with collaboration is communication, right? Um, How do you communicate with your partners? Um, How do you set the stage and helping people understand getting from point A to point B is not necessarily always a straight line, but here are the different stones and cobblestones that you're going to have to touch upon to get there. And um, communicating your vision, communicating who you are as a leader and how, how you are there to support the work that they're doing. And Time in, time out again, communication comes on top along with collaboration for me about learning how to communicate effectively, um, knowing how to communicate, the tone, clear messaging, all of that is, I think, key for not just faculty and administrators, but also with students um, and your constituents, your larger constituents, your your neighboring agencies that you may work with, your um, neighboring institutions that you might collaborate with, your alumni, and you have many, many constituents, and there's got to be the right messaging that has to be done with each one of those constituents um, to achieve a common goal. So that's my second big lesson I learned is collaboration and communication. The third lesson I learned is actually a little bit of a it's an attitude than anything else, mm-hmm. a can do attitude, um, understanding really, you know, and people can get a good sense of what's happening in the higher education scene going forward. If you read the Chronicles, you'll be mm-hmm. um, higher ed and many other publications out there. But one needs to kind of I would really what helped me over the years was to help me say I can think out of the box for a solution. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the solution always doesn't have to be in the same box that I used to play mm-hmm. in for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it may sound radical to folks at in, initially, but nobody says we're going to go implement it day one. But it's something right. to help people kind of break out of that mold of what we used to know, um, and but yet still deliver the quality education that we want to deliver, but meets the demands of the students today, um, especially graduate students and students who come into professional education they're adult learners. They're not the same as undergraduate uh, learners. And even undergraduates these days, a lot of students are choosing to work full time and try to go to school and uh, get their bachelor, bachelor's level degree. So mm-hmm. for us, for me, um, that can-do attitude is, is part of how I kind of think. And I kind of look at the world upside down once in a while, mm-hmm. look looking from the side and different angles to see if I can find a different way it's problem solve the, um, the problems that I have up front. So solutions come not only from what you only know, but being able to look from different perspectives to come up with a solution. There's nothing that we couldn't do if we actually put our heads together. And um, that's again, kind of breaking down the silos and all that other stuff. It's really important to be able to kind of have that vision um, and perspective um, that you can do, Change. You can have change and your change could be successful. And I think that's going to be really key for for the future. The last thing that I really learned and maybe it's who I am, um, but mm-hmm. data and understanding data was really, really important to me. Even coming up with common data, even within the same institution, sometimes I'll ask my colleagues, "Do you know how many students uh, that we have enrolled today?" And everybody comes up with a different answer. Not quite—it's not off uh, tremendously, Mm -hmm. but it's off by a couple. And like, whose data should I believe in? So, kind of coming up with ways to help my team visualize that data in um, in a common way so that we can all access the data together and really troubleshoot um, problems that we see and the trends in our, even our own data. So um, don't be scared of, of data. Don't be scared of asking your institutional research partners, people who have access to this data to kind of help you, help bring data to life for you and your department um, and use it and use it wisely because, you know, we're only as smart as how how our data, data informs us sometimes especially in terms of students um, students needs in particular understanding maybe they're working how many hours are they working and how does that interface with the uh, school life that we've created and maybe it doesn't mesh with the life of the of, of those individuals so uh, mm-hmm. where are they traveling from how far are they coming from Having a heat map of your population, of geographic locations of where your students are coming from, all of that comes into play. And um, I do have a funny story from a while back, um, that uh, one of the campuses that I used to oversee uh, had students come from probably about two-hour driving distance on a Saturday. Oh my morning. goodness! Mm-hmm. So. Um, so closing down a campus for weather reasons had to be done quite early because students right. left the house because they don't want to be right there at nine o'clock when classes start. So they would leave before seven o'clock in the morning and drive drive, drive down. Um, one year we had uh, an ice storm that came and the university announcement for closing the campus didn't come out until about seven. Um, So I was able to use data to show our our public health, um, head of public security, who handles all the weather related um, information, and said, this is where my students are coming from. Uh (laughs) Um, And more than 50% 50 of my students are coming from this geographic region, two hours driving. um, And since then, We've worked marvelously in terms of when these weather related, um, especially for that campus, because that campus has, uh, it's not in the city, it's in the suburbs. Um, it made a difference in terms of making that announcement. So it's a very small anecdote, but it's something right. that had a significant impact on the lives of the students going forward. So for for John, who, um, who was the head of public security, was like, wow, I didn't know that. So it really helped inform our decision makers in different units um, that could improve quality of your life for your own students because I, I would not want any of our students and I don't think the university or
1: anybody right. want any of our students to get hurt on the way coming to campus. Well, you're, uh, you're, thank you for all of that. And your anecdote really is evidence of what you described as lessons learned. I mean, it's about collaboration. It's about communicating. It's about an attitude. This can change, mm-hmm. right? I just need to, and then using data in a way to you know, help inform. Um, and, and to sort of make your case. One thing you said um, as you were talking a little bit about sort of the collaboration piece mm-hmm. is, you, you said the word reality. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think sometimes when, again, and this goes back to the silo conversation, I think sometimes when your, your reality is, is, is smaller, your reality is just my scholarship uh, or just my tenure and promotion, you don't have the perspective of the larger reality. The larger reality is that you're one important part of a large system that has a shared goal. How do you feel about maybe in your experience or as you've observed other institutions, how good have we been or, or how much of a priority, how important is it to make sure that we have articulated clearly achievable goals, and that we are sort of working plans to achieve those goals. Uh, you mentioned that a bit in, in your collaboration um, lesson learned, but if you could expand on that, I think that might be valuable.
2: My goal typically is to create a shared reality for all of them, all of us. I mean, we have our specific job functions, however, we are part of the institution, and that's where that collaboration and that feeling of that you're you're you are for them. We're all for them, right? We're not mm-hmm. an independent contractor. Um, and what does it mean to be part of this larger entity of the university? And for me, oftentimes. Um, sharing with our faculty and different constituents about the realities of where we are, right? Some of the positives that we've achieved, but also where do we need to go next step? Where is social work education gonna go? Um, As we are not only um, invested in research, but we're invested in education and um, good quality education going forward. And how can we do what we do even better? Um, And sharing that reality um, is often important because often people say, well, I didn't know that about the school, or Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was what's happening. Um, Because once everybody has a shared reality of what we're all up against, it's easier to come up with an answer um, rather than me doing it myself, right? Because we're all partners in this and we all have shared governance. And um, so I think it's important to be able to communicate our reality (laughs) as -hmm. administrators, to our faculty, our staff, and our constituents um, in a way that's digestible and understandable. um, Because, you know, we live in it day in and day out. So it's all in my head. Um, But for other people, that's not their reality. So how do I share that informational nugget that's going to help them see, um, at least plot it out in terms of where the bottlenecks are, the problems are, or some innovation needs to come in? Um, and bring some fresh ideas. Um, that's that's always been a really hard thing for I think universities to do is to create that shared reality um, mm-hmm. between faculty and administrators um, going forward and I think that that can help propel the university to move forward much faster uh, when everybody understands the realities that we're up against. Um,
0: yeah.
2: And I you know I think it'll be really important for f- people to do that. We don't do enough of that we Stand in our lanes and say, "Okay, this is my problem." But no, it's not just my problem; it's everybody's problem because we're all part of the same institution,
1: right? And I wonder the other term that you mentioned a couple of times in in laying out your lessons learned is is hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, as we look at business trends and things, I mean, we're seeing you know less hierarchical leadership, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. not that there isn't accountability, Mm -hmm. but just you know, we're not really even even business isn't. Looking, succeeding with the old-fashioned uh, corporate hierarchy, and 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 you know, as we think about the Great Resignation, and we think about the importance of talent, and not only retaining but inspiring, and 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 really leveraging and and collaborating mm-hmm. with our talent, um, it seems like the world is sort of moving to an, a, a new understanding of hierarchical leadership, and and. And, and looking at something that's a little flatter, um, has this been your experience and, and and how do you think and how do you feel about sort of shifts or changes that uh, are are occurring or should be occurring as it relates to hierarchical leadership? Um, what I, I guess when I mentioned hierarchy, I was really referring to the tenure
2: system. Oh, okay, um, okay. Oh, more then, in the faculty right, ranks. Faculty yep. ranks um, rather than administrators, because I think administrators typically know you do have a head figure because you somebody's got to hold the bottom line right right i think you know for for um for administrators on our end i think we can have a little bit more flat structure um but i can't flatten out the tenure hierarchy so (laughs) so when we all get into a room together how do how how does one feel comfortable or feel safe enough to say what they want to say without feeling? The pressure of that other hierarchy, knowing that this person holds, um, I guess, the future of your career, right. um, In
1: some ways, so right, right, right. That's interesting. Obviously, we've all lived through a really challenging time in the last mm-hmm. couple of years with COVID. Um, what I have the biggest changes been that you've observed or experienced, sort of post-COVID? How do you see maybe attitudes? Um, understandings of how organizations ought to be managed and how we ought to think about faculty and students. How, what sort of changes have you observed? And you know, do you see those as positive sorts of things that have come out of you know, obviously a time of, of, of trial and a time of um, you know, maybe hardship for institutions and certainly for many, many individuals. Um, are there some? I don't want to say silver linings because maybe they're not. I mean, maybe what we've seen is a reality that we don't like, and we have a lot of work to do. But just curious, what are the changes, or what what sort of observations can you make, sort of post COVID, about where um, institutions are, or where mm-hmm. uh, sure sort so, of operations lie? Sure, from. I'm gonna
2: start with the positive. The positive, we've learned a whole lot about um, online or remote learning um, education as I think all institutions had to shuffle to to that modality during COVID. We learned that we can deliver successfully um, education through those modalities um, and that students um, who have never experienced or had um, I guess, a perception of what that online learning looked like has actually changed um, their perspective on what online learning can be. And not just online learning, but even for administrative staff and faculty about being able to have that ability to work from home and still be successful, still be meeting their goals and needs. So post-COVID, like any other Um, company or corporates or business I think universities are also struggling with about return to work and what that return to work looks like flexibility Mm -hmm. and schedule Um, and then we're all facing what do we do about online learning and what people are expecting as Mm -hmm. students for that um, element of convenience the element of being more flexible in their time schedule if they have a learning uh, online learning um, opportunity to fulfill their educational needs. Now, graduate education is different than undergraduate education. As I said before, graduate education, people have busy lives, they typically have jobs, and they like the flexibility of an online learning environment. So I think for universities, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. It's, It's positive that we were all able to kind of switch and be able to do this. But lessons learned is that we also have a lot to learn and there's new technology, new methods of engaging our students and how do we build our courses. So I don't think in the future, um, there wouldn't be an institution that has some element, I wouldn't say all, not all online um, learning, but some element of online or remote remote learning element that needs to be built into their programming. Um, So that's one. The second part is uh, ensuring that our Faculty and administrators um, are contiguously upgrading their technological skills um, sets to be able to utilize the many different wonderful products that are out there that could help better teach our students. Um, and continue to kind of work on that teaching end of it, because teaching in an online environment is definitely different than teaching in an in class envi- uh, environment. So what are those technological um, skill sets that one needs to one needs to learn uh, learning about teaching um, online pedagogy and pedagogy just in general. How do you improve upon that? You know, knowing what science has taught us about um, how many minutes one could focus on a video (laughs) or a PowerPoint presentation. um, Use the best science out there to help build um, the best learning experience possible for that individual in that environment. Some of the other challenges, I guess, um, post-COVID I'm seeing is is really kind of the balance that a university has to figure out around um, how much online presence do you wanna have versus how much of on-campus presence do you wanna have and Mm -hmm. the balance between, because um, a lot of people love being part of a campus environment and that's why they come to universities and they they live in the dorms and do all of that. But how much? What is the tipping point? What is the right amount Mm -hmm. of online versus on-campus presence? And I think that's a big question mark for all of us, Mm -hmm. um, because we understand the need for online education for certain groups of people, Um, and not all, not all professions or not all disciplines um, may best teach their courses via online environment either. Um, As a university, I believe the reason we have campuses and we not buildings per se, I call it a, even if you have a one building, you know, university, I, I call it a campus because it's an opportunity to bring people together. It's an opportunity mm-hmm. for people to congregate. It's mm-hmm. a different kind of engagement that one creates um, that I don't think we've successfully mastered how to recreate that in an online environment to, to give students that kind of similar experiences in the past. So, you know, those are Probably two big questions for me in terms of going forward to think about: what is that balance going to be, and how do I ensure that um, that community building or the community aspect of it is not lost in the process of us meeting the demands of the students only? So that balance, I don't know, Kathy. I don't know where yeah. we're all going to go, but yeah. you know, um, it, it may differ by you know student population. It may differ right. by profession, but yeah. right. But we all need to figure out how to build community in an effective way. Um, and and going back, and I'm, I'm just going back to that shared vision piece, even for our student population to understand the vision of the institution. Sometimes being and being part of the campus environment, getting engaged in different groups, meeting different people, just going to the library and, hey, I struck up a conversation right. with somebody in a different discipline and they're doing something similar to me. Those opportunities, the random opportunities kind of get lost when you kind of have to force yourself on a Zoom with other people, just be, you're making that extra effort, right? So, um, so I think that's going to be a big challenge of balancing out the needs of the student and um, what universities can offer um, and, and why people come to universities and to study in universities. And it's not just about the books and the discipline, but it's about the life and the campus life. And how do you ensure that um, to be successful going forward will be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think um, you're right, it really, those needs are different depending on the student population. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to, I think, you know, if we're talking about reality, address the cost factor too. I mean, yeah. so- Somehow we have to show as institutions that whatever that right amount is for that, particularly that Mm -hmm. learner who's having their first higher ed experience, um, you know, what is the value? Um, And, you know, it's harder sometimes to put a a dollar value on random encounters that may change their lives or requirements to do particular cultural things as a part of a liberal arts humanities you know general education requirement that are going to open their eyes to something they would have never been exposed to Mm -hmm. had they you know just logged on to a you know zoom call for their education for for two to four years or whatever that foundational level is how do you how do you um how do you talk about and it really goes to this mission, you know, being honest and sharing the reality with the student. Yeah, this is going to cost you this much money. Um, you know, maybe we can't put an ROI table together as it relates mm-hmm. to, to salary, but certainly I think as we reflect on even the sort of humanities, social sciences versus, um, um Sort of science, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. professional sorts of path conversations that we've been having for decades. You know, how do we talk about the value related to those things that it's hard to put a, you know, attach a dollar to, but that we all intuitively know are valuable? You know, that seems to be part and parcel of the same sort of challenge. The experiential learning part is is so
2: important Um, and it's not necessarily always connected to um connected to your classroom learning per se but it does inform many aspects of growth of of an individual and i think that's why people come to universities you know they come for that experiential piece because you're not just growing in knowledge and your your perspective but not just your knowledge but you broaden your perspective by interacting with different folks and and be exposing yourself to different things Um, and that's you can do and i've seen people do it on an online environment but um but is it going to be the same as coming and experiencing it yourself um kind of having that physical input um, as right. being part of part of a group that's going and seeing um, the cultural monuments of New York City. I mean, New York City has lots to offer where we're located. and one watching it through a video or even a self-guided tour of New York City as being mm-hmm. experiential, it's not the same thing as seeing the hot dog vendor over there on the side street and seeing the uh, um, the performing Smelling the chestnuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. all of that stuff, yeah. Yeah. So all of that is, is um, something that I think we as universities are going to have to grapple with a bit um, post-COVID. Now, how do you, some people really want to come back on campus. Some people are still like, look, well, I, I kind of like this. Um, and I think there's enough room to support both um, okay. in the future. I do too. I
1: do too. Well, that, that has been a tremendous um, insight. And certainly, I think you have articulated well the questions that all institutions are asking themselves today, right, about mm-hmm. what's the what's the proper blend of online and, and residential experience, um, and what's the proper blend of work experience, mm-hmm. right, um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we do digitally, what we do remotely, and what we do as a part of a community that's trying to achieve a particular mission, so I, I think you've You've articulated uh, the challenges, or changes, or opportunities, you know, that most schools are experiencing. Last question I want to get to, and this is specifically sort of um, advice or counsel that you can offer as a woman um, Mm -hmm. who is is uh, you know making a career in academic affairs leadership. Is is there um, advice that you would give specifically to to women um, who are maybe um, early in their faculty career or even in business or other sorts of areas, but who see uh, or feel uh, uh, compelled to do work in higher education leadership, uh, is there particular advice that you would offer them?
2: I, I, th- I would like to offer two. One okay. is get a mentor. You know, women, I think, um, tend not to get as many mentors in academic leadership Maybe there isn't as many of us sometimes, depending on the profession that you're in. But I think all of us who are sitting in our positions now would say that we had some really good guidance along the way from folks in terms of how to navigate the system um, and um, helping us bounce off ideas. Um, there's no idea that's wrong. I think you, know, you just really need to have somebody that you're a confidant that you can go and say, hey, what do you think about this? Idea. What do you think about that vision? What do you think I should do next? What else can I learn? And mentorship, I really feel like is lacking sometimes in academic administration, especially among women. So I would, I myself would love to mentor other folks, but at the same time, I would recommend anybody who's interested in um, getting involved, finding a mentor, and um, it may not happen, your academic career may not take off tomorrow, but it is a pathway to keep your eyes open to get where you need to get. Second is I really, you know, having a PhD myself um, and being a, been an academic for a while, you know, you kind of hone your research skills, you hone your teaching skills, you do that kind of stuff. But what other skill sets are really needed? And I go back to your first question around when we talked about those soft skills that one needs to learn, how to do the collaboration, how do you do the communication piece? Have you um, helped yourself think out of the box on solving problems? I mean, it could be a kind of natural fit because researchers do try to solve problems out of the box in a different mm-hmm. way, but apply it to here too. Um, and always look out for opportunities to gain experience um, in things that you think is like, oh my God, that's so irrelevant to my work. But it all comes in handy one day um, when one needs to do something so i find that I, I would really recommend people don't be shy about taking on new roles taking on new roles that you don't think is even relevant to yours because it always come back it comes back to help that's i would really recommend that for folks that you de- develop those soft skills that is necessary to be successful in um higher ed administration do
1: you think that uh, do you know of resources where um obviously the best way to learn is experience, right? I mean, so go out and seek different kinds of opportunities that are gonna expose you to different facets of the institution, different facets of leadership. Are you aware of, or do you know of, or point to um, any sorts of more formal resources for for thinking about developing those soft skills? I mean, is there something you used a course or a book or um, did it happen more organically? I think it happened more organically uh, for
2: me because i it, I sat in many different positions, ran a campus, ran all of administration then ran all of all the campuses of uh, academics. you know it kind of and I also um, headed accreditation multiple times. So you know, I kind of held different positions that led me expose me to things, but even when I was faculty, you know i had I held curriculum chair, I held, Um, You know, many different chair positions within the department that helped me kind of cultivate those skill sets. So again, I I know research time is very valuable for folks, but doing service and being in, in those positions will not only help you hone your skills, but it helps you open your eyes on different perspectives. And I always tell folks like, look, you may not agree with that what that other person's saying. However, you try to see from where they're sitting at and wh- where they're coming from. And it really sometimes, turns the situation around. I've sat in many rooms, I said, I don't agree with that. But then as I put myself in that person's shoe and the role that person's sitting in, I said, I could see why that person's saying that, right? Right. So it, it, it really helps you broaden your perspective and understanding. And um, you just can't be close-minded, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a job that you can do with your blinders on um, and, uh, and, and a narrow path, um, especially in today's day. Again, like I said earlier, you, the academic administration is not like what it used to be. You mm-hmm. have to know enrollment, you have to know marketing, you have to know admissions um, to student conduct and um, all of that. It it comes it, it, It's a whole full package and one needs to mm-hmm start building all those elements into their arsenal um, so they can be prepared when they do
1: get tapped in that moment to to fulfill a role.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Terrific advice. I would just add to the mentor, um, research shows that women also need to identify a sponsor. so you know somebody who's going to advocate for them mm-hmm. in advancement at the institution. and so you know maybe that's um, you know that's something to think about as well as you know identify that. yeah. Mentor, but also and identify that person that sees your potential, that mm-hmm. um, understands why investment ought to be made in you, and then yeah. who who really um, is your advocate um, to and leadership.
2: That's so, yeah, that's so true, Kathy. When I, you know, one of the, um, as when you were introducing me, I was a Hartford Geriatric Faculty Scholar. I know it's a mouthful, <laughs> it's a long <laughs> title. Um, but they actually structured it where I had two mentors. One was internal, one was external. The internal mm-hmm. mentor was in some ways your sponsor, right? They, mm-hmm. they knew you, what, you, what you needed to do and they were gonna advocate to ensure that you had adequate enough time to grow and develop. Your external mentor was more of that sounding board person, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. sometimes there's things that you do not want your internal mentor to know, possibly. Right, right, right. But, so they actually structured it that way. And I thought that was very, very smart, because like you said, you need some internal advocacy sometimes to, I don't know, um, garnish resources or, or time mm-hmm. or other things that you need to get your work done. Um, but it's the, exter- it's the external mentor you go and cry on their shoulders and right. and, and talk about all the things that went wrong and how right. I can make it right going forward. So right. um, I think that's, that's a really
1: great recommendation as well. Well, this has been fantastic. We are so grateful for the time that you've taken to share your experiences, your counsel, your lessons learned, your perspectives on what the biggest questions are for institutions and for academic leaders. This is going to be tremendously valuable to our audience. We're extraordinarily grateful that, that you would share with us. Uh, Congratulations on winning the APL award this year. We couldn't have chosen um, a better and more worthy recipient and uh, congratulations on your promotion as well. Um, We look forward to the great things, hearing about the great things that you're going to do at Fordham in a in a larger role in academic affairs. And um, again, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you, Dr. Lee, for joining us today to share these seeds of knowledge and experience with our listeners. And a big thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to the APL Next Ed mini pod, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. We release a new episode every few weeks in two formats, a po- podcast and a video, please join us in listening and learning and gleaning wisdom from our amazing guests. You can visit the APL Next Ed podcast page by logging on to aplnexted.com podcast and access the full library of mini pod episodes. You can also read more about our guests and see links to resources mentioned by them. Until next time, be well and take care. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to today's guest and thank you to you, our listeners. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. We hope the APL NextEd Minipod is a helpful resource to you and your teams. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues. The APL NextEd Minipod is brought to you by APL NextEd, the leading academic operations platform helping academic teams connect and collaborate in one place. To learn more about how APL NextEd is helping schools streamline academic operations, visit APLNextEd.com.